0: Well, today we're talking about loving God's great purposes. This is our very last message, our concluding message in our four priorities for life. We're talking about God's purposes for our lives. That is one of the great priorities that God has for our lives. God created this world with a purpose in mind. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, I'll fling the universe in and see what happens. That's not how God does things. He created the universe, and he created this planet with people on it with a purpose in mind, and that in purpose includes you, and it includes me. Now, God's purpose isn't just a bunch of our individual purposes lumped together, but it's a great purpose. God's purpose encompasses encompasses his entire creation, the entire universe. And The wonderful aspect of God's great purposes is that you and I have the privilege of being part of Of God's purposes when we're part of something bigger than ourselves when we're part of God's great purpose when we're part of God's grand plan something conceived in the very mind of God himself it it gives us significance it gives our lives fulfillment our lives matter for eternity as we see our individual purposes being part of God's great purposes I'd like us to watch a video clip called Significance, talking about our significance in life as part of God's great purpose. God created our lives to have significance, and our significance in life is not based on the things that are admired by our culture. It's not based on our wealth. It's not based on our prestige. It's not based on power. All of those things have no value for eternity. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24, you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin, as the verse is written out, says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. And so our significance in life is based not on our own accomplishments. It's based on knowing the Lord. It's, it's based on being involved in His purposes and not our own. And so this morning, God wants us to take a look at the big picture. Oftentimes, we focus on ourselves. We focus on a small picture, and, and that's valuable. That's important. But today, we're going to look at the big picture. God wants us to take a view of life, take a view of history, from God's point of view. And as we do, I believe it's going to encourage us. It's going to inspire us. It's going to motivate us to live our lives for God's purposes. Now, to live your life for God's purpose is to die to your own desires, to die to the things that arise out of our selfish wants and needs and live our lives for the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 9 23 if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me and so to follow Jesus Christ to follow his purpose for our lives we are to lay down our lives we are to lay down our desires and submit them to his submit them to God's desires to God's great purposes and what are those great purposes well that's what we're going to be looking at today. The great purposes of God are centered in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know about God's great purposes, you have to look at Jesus Christ. And the only people that can participate in God's great purposes are those who are in Christ. In other words, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. We can participate as believers in God's great purposes. God's great purposes involve both this life and the next. God's great purposes find their culmination. They find their fulfillment in eternity, but they begin in this life. <clears throat> now, oftentimes, we tend to live life from day to day. But God wants us to live our lives in light of eternity, doing the things that are going to last, doing the things that are significant for e- for eternity. And that's the way our lives can have the greatest significance. Now today we're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians was written by Paul. It's a letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus, so it was written to believers. The first three chapters of Ephesians relate to God's great purposes for our lives that are found in Christ, and the last three uh, relate to how we live out those purposes in a practical way. But today we're just going to look at the first section of Ephesians chapter 1 to get an overview of God's great purpose purposes The father has blessed you in Christ Our passage begins with verse 3 it says praise be to the god of our God and father of our lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ And so God's purpose for you is to be blessed That sounds pretty good doesn't it I want to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. And this verse proclaims that every believer is blessed. Now, how can that be? In Paul's time, believers were being persecuted. Some believers were being martyred. They were being killed for the cause of Christ. How can he say they're blessed? Well, these blessings are spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Now, that doesn't mean that we can only enjoy them in heaven, but it does mean they're spiritual blessings that are referred to and not physical blessings. God can bless us with spiritual blessings even when we are going through difficult times here in this life. Now, God does bless believers with physical blessings oftentimes, but he always blesses us with spiritual blessings. And these blessings in the heavenly realms are going to last forever. They're going to last into eternity. If God blesses us with a physical blessing in this life, great, praise, praise God. But when this life is over, that is over. Spiritual blessings are eternal. As we go through the passage, we're going to understand more what these spiritual blessings are. I want you to notice two very important words in verse 3. They're the last two words in the verse. They're very important. The words are in Christ. I want you to underline that in Christ. These spiritual blessings are in Christ. We've been blessed with these blessings. They're received only in union with Jesus Christ. And as we're united with Christ, as we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then and only then are we blessed. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now the Father chose you in Christ. Remember, he's writing to believers here, verse 4. For he, speaking of God, chose us in him. Who is the him? It's Christ. Underline that again, in him. We're going to see that phrase a lot. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And so God had you in mind before the creation of the world. You were chosen in Christ before time began. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, has been chosen by God. He's the first and foremost elect of God. He's the one that was chosen of God. And as we're in union with Christ then. We are chosen by God. We are part or members of the elect. In other words, God's choosing of people occurs only in union with Christ and it consists of all believers, which is the church. And we'll see later in the passage how one is included in Christ. But this election or choosing in Christ is, is primarily corporate. It's the choosing of the people of God. And we have been chosen for a purpose. And that purpose is to be holy and blameless, to live out our lives in a righteous way, in a way that's pleasing to God in this earth. Not only have we been chosen in Christ, but the Father has predestined you as sons. Verse 5 and 6, In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He's freely given us in the one he loves. Underline that phrase, in the one he loves. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. It's in Christ. Those whom God has chosen in Christ are predestined to be his adopted sons or his adopted children, the children of God. And what does that mean? Well, each person is born into this life in sin. And we live our lives as slaves to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Father has predestined those who believe in Christ to be adopted. To no longer be slaves, but to be sons. Sons of God the Father. And this predestination brings praise. Because God has accomplished it. God is doing it. As we receive the one who loves. This grace we receive in the one he loves, which is Christ. Now predestination does not mean that God arbitrarily predestines this person to go to heaven and that person to go to hell. The Bible does not teach that. Predestination applies to God's purpose for each believer who's been chosen or elected in Christ. And so when we are in union with Christ, we enjoy the blessings of Christ we enjoy the purpose of Christ and so God's great purpose for us is to bless us by choosing us to be holy and predestining us to be his children you see only those who believe in Jesus Christ only those who are in Christ are the children of God and inherit his blessings so what does this mean for all of us practically It means that all of God's blessings in this life, all the things that he's created you to accomplish, all his purposes for your life will only be received, will only be accomplished through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, you will accomplish nothing of significance in your life with respect to eternity. A relationship with Jesus Christ, it may begin with a simple prayer of faith as we pray a simple prayer of faith at the end of every service. That's how a relationship with Christ may begin, but it doesn't end there. A true relationship with Christ is something that's alive. It's something that's growing. It's something that continually grows stronger. Jesus spoke of the relationship between a believer and himself as abiding or remaining in Christ. And we do that. We grow in our relationship with Christ by remaining in his love, by receiving More from Him. We spend time communicating with Him in prayer. Reading His Word. Obeying His Word. No matter how long you've been a a believer, there is no limit in how far you can grow in your relationship with Christ. There's always a further step. Closer to Him. There's always another step. Knowing Him better. And our relationship with Christ is the beginning point For God's great purposes for every believer. Now let's see how God's purpose for his children fits in with God's overall, his his what I call his cosmic purpose. God's ultimate or cosmic purpose is to put everything under Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 9 and 10. Let's jump ahead a couple of verses and then we'll go back. It says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Who likes mysteries? God has made known to us the mystery of his will. You want to know the will of God? Well, this is God's cosmic or ultimate will, his ultimate purpose. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed, underline those words, in Christ. We're seeing a pattern here. Purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And so God's word here speaks of the mystery of God's will, which is also when Christ's will or ultimate purpose will only be completed at the end of time. It's going to be completed when Christ returns for the second time. And God's ultimate purpose is to put all things in subjection to the lordship, to the rulership of Jesus Christ. Now there is a sense that even today, Christ reigns in heaven over everything. But... The Bible teaches and we experience that there are many things in heaven and earth in active rebellion against the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God, are in violent warfare, are in violent conflict even now. This warfare occurs in the spiritual realm. There are armies, we sang of angel armies, those armies of angels are... Battling armies of fallen angels, even now. We can't see them. The Bible, people have seen them in the Bible. They are occurring, even now, battles in the spiritual realm. Warfare occurs in the physical realm. We have examples of it in our own town in in Ferguson. Of things going on that are not of God. Battles occur in the realms of people, interacting with one another, in relationships. Now God's ultimate purpose is to remove all sin, to remove all evil, to remove all unbelievers from his kingdom and isolate the evil, the sin, the bad things in a place of eternal torment and judgment called hell. And when those things are removed from God's kingdom, then his kingdom is going to be free of all sin. It's going to be free of all evil. It's going to consist of a new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to blaze in holiness. There's nothing sinful going to be part of it. It's going to be inhabited by believers in union with Christ. They're going to live with him forever and ever. Now again, that is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. You see, the earth is going to be recreated. And heavens and earth are going to come together. We're not just going to float up in the skies playing harps. It's not in the Bible anywhere. We're going to be fulfilling God's purpose in eternity. He has things for us to do even in eternity And to help bring about that purpose, everything in subjection to the rulership, to the authority of Jesus Christ, is every believer's calling. And it's worth laying down our lives for that ultimate purpose. In fact, the Bible says as we live holy lives, we actually speed up the coming of the Lord. In which everything will be made right. And so that's God's ultimate purpose, to put everything in subjection to the rulership of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at one point that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now let's look at some more of the blessings we've received in Christ. And these blessings are not just to enjoy. These blessings are essentials for each of us working to achieve God's great purposes because every believer is part of working towards this end that we've just talked about. And so in Christ you've been forgiven, verse 7 and 8. In him. What are you supposed to do with that? Underline it. In him, that's in Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In Christ it says we've been redeemed. Talk about words that we don't normally use in everyday talk. What does redemption mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? It means that God has purchased our freedom from sin by a payment, the payment of the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been, we were slaves to sin, and God has purchased our freedom so that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have become adopted as his very sons. And it was through the through the blood of Christ. And so forgiveness is huge. It's huge in this life. It's huge in the life to come. Forgiveness allows us in this life to begin and to grow in our relationship with Christ. Because without forgiveness, the sin in our lives keeps us from a relationship with God. God is holy and we are not. We can't have a relationship with God as long as there's sin in our lives. But when the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, then we can begin and grow in our relationship with Christ. And if we sin, God forgives us when we repent. And he restores us to a relationship. In the next life, forgiveness gives us the right to escape hell and to spend eternity and participate in God's eternal kingdom. And since we've been forgiven in Christ, our purpose is to glorify God. Verse 11 and 12, in him. Underline it, it's in Christ. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. I might add that in the Greek language this whole passage is one sentence. It just goes on and on and on and we we try to break it up to to make it make sense and even then the sentences are kind of long aren't they? That's just God's word is just overflowing with language here, and we're just scratching the surface. We're trying to take an overview today. We could spend like a whole message on every verse here. There's so much packed in, but we're just trying to get a bird's eye view here. So you've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've already talked about being chosen and predestined in Christ, okay, for the purpose of being for the praise of God's glory. And to put another way, your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose in life is to glorify God in this life and throughout eternity. And so our lives should be the catalyst for other people to praise God, to glorify God. And that brings Him glory. And we don't want others to praise us. We want others to praise God. And so the Bible tells us to do good things before men that they might see what we do. And praise our Father who is in heaven. And so we want people to see the good things we do so that God gets the glory. And so our purpose in life is to glorify God, to bring praise to him in everything we say, everything we do, everything we think. Now, how are we included in Christ? Everything we've been talking about this morning, it only applies to people who are in Christ. It only applies to people who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible teaches us here that you're included in Christ by hearing and believing the gospel. You also were included, verse 13. Verse 13, in Christ. Underline the words, in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, and then we'll finish the verse in a minute. And so what are the two things that causes us to be in Christ. First of all, we need to hear the gospel and we need to believe the gospel. The word gospel, it means good news. And what is the good news, the good news of the gospel? Is that Jesus died and rose from the dead that your sins might be forgiven. In an essence, that's what the gospel is. And when we repent, when we turn away from the sin that each of us has in our lives, we repent, we turn away from that, and we turn to Jesus Christ to put our faith in him, then we are included in Christ. We are saved. We are born again. We are new creations. The Bible has many terminologies for it. That's the only way that someone is in Christ. You are not found in Christ by doing a bunch of good things. You're not found in Christ by avoiding a bunch of bad things. You're not in Christ because you feel the number of Good things you do outweighs the number of bad things. You're found in Christ by believing, by hearing and believing the gospel. And those who are in Christ will be growing and holy in holy and righteous living. You'll be demonstrating what your faith has brought about. So how do we glorify? How can we glorify uh, Jesus Christ in our lives? We can glorify Christ by participating in In God's ultimate purpose of putting everything under Christ. How can we do that? Well, let's start with our own lives. Ask yourself the question is, is every area of my life completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Are my relationships submitted to Christ? Is the way I spend my time submitted to the rule of Christ? Are my finances, my work, my family, my hobbies, my entertainment, my possessions, and the list could go on. Are there any closets in your life that are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Jesus wants you to submit those to him. Now let's move on to those around us, those we have influence over or might have influence over, our friends, our relatives, our workmates, our neighbors. How can we pray and work to see these people submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we see them come into the kingdom? How can we see them become in Christ as well, included in Christ? What can you do so others will look at your life and praise God? God's kingdom advances as more and more people become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. As more and more knees bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So finally, the Holy Spirit seals you in Christ. The last part of verse 13 says, Having believed, you were marked in Him Underline the words in Him that's in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You notice our first point began with the Father. The Father blessed us in Christ. The second point has to do with our blessings in Christ, in Jesus Christ. And now the third point, we turn to the Holy Spirit. We see the three parts of the Trinity. Three persons of God United in God, separate yet equal. Those who are believers, those who are in Christ, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In New Testament times, when they sent letters or official documents from one person to the next to ensure that they were not forgeries, to ensure that they were from the person who signed the letter, they would pour some warm wax or hot wax uh, on the... on the. Uh, Letter, and then they would take their rings, uh, which would have a special design, and impress it into the wax, and the wax would harden, and that unique mark that they put in there would identify that letter as coming from a particular person that was theirs. It was a mark of ownership, a mark of identification. And so what God's word is saying here, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. He's put his mark upon us, that we are in Christ, that we are Christ, that we are his, that we are owned by him. And so the Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership of a believer. The Bible identifies various fruits, various gifts of the Spirit that are evidence of his work in a person's life. And this Holy Spirit, that's, in the life of every believer guarantees our eternity. It says in verse 14, who, speaking of the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You see, when you became a child of God, when you were redeemed from being a slave to sin, you came into the family of God. And he is a very rich father. I is far richer than any billionaire on this planet. And so you have an incredible inheritance, you see. The Bible talks a lot about our inheritance with the Father. And this Holy Spirit is a down payment that guarantees what we're going to receive in our inherit what we're going to receive in our inheritance in eternity. Now, even now we begin to draw on that inheritance, but we won't receive it in fullness until Christ returns. And so our relationship with the Holy Spirit in this life is. It's a foretaste of a relationship with God in eternity. And we grow closer and closer to him through this life. But when we see him face to face, things will be even better. The Bible says that the things that God has planned for his children, the inheritance that he's planned for us is, is beyond our comprehension. Sometimes people tell me, I don't want to go to heaven. I think I'm going to be bored there. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. The God that created this universe, the God created this earth, as interesting as it is, it's marred by sin and all kinds of things. And heaven, the new heavens and new earth are going to be so much more incredibly beautiful than anything we've even experienced down here. This is just a taste of what we're going to enjoy in eternity. All sin, all pain, all evil, all death is going to be done away with. Our lives will be filled with joy, with praise to God forever. And God has a purpose, a plan for believers in his church to carry out throughout eternity. It's really incredible. And so the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of that eternity. The Holy Spirit will bring finally complete redemption. The last part of verse 14, it says, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God of his glory Now again the Bible has a lot of what I call already not yet and sometimes that's confusing to people We've been redeemed we are already redeemed but not yet have we been have we enjoyed complete redemption And so our redemption will be complete when Christ returns to the earth and when he returns Everyone's body will be, the Bible calls, glorified. Now what does that mean? Well, the best we can understand is that when Jesus raised from the dead, he had a glorified body. He was never going to die again. He was going to live forever. It was a body that could be recognized. It still had nail prints in his hands, but yet it was a different body. It was a body that could appear and disappear at will. It was a body that could do all kinds of things. He could still eat but yet he could ascend up into the sky. A glorified body. When Christ returns, the bodies of believers who have passed on before will be resurrected from the grave and reunited with their spirits. A glorified body. And those who are still alive will be changed in an instant, in a flash. they receive this glorified body. Their redemption will be complete. And as I said before, the heavens and the earth will be recreated as the perfect place for you and I to live in these glorified bodies, a merging of the spiritual and the physical in one in a way we have never experienced yet. And it's all in God's plan. It's all in God's great purpose for us. And so the Holy Spirit is the power that we need to play our part in this life in God's great purposes. The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates God's will to us and He guides our lives. Although the Bible teaches that every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, it teaches also that we should seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a one time experience, it's something that needs to be an ongoing experience. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can hear the Holy Spirit's voice speaking to us and guiding us in God's plan and purpose for our lives. He wants to help us comprehend. He wants to help us participate in his purposes here and now. And so today we've looked at God's great purposes. And admittedly, these are cosmic purposes that are maybe a little hard to get our minds wrapped around, but we need to... We need to think, sometimes get our minds off just looking at ourselves and see the big picture that we're part of, that God has for our lives. I'd encourage you to read the entire chapter of Ephesians 1 this week. The second part of chapter 1 is a prayer, a prayer that Paul prayed. To help the believers better understand God's great purposes. And we don't have time to look at the prayer this week, so I'd encourage you to read that prayer, to pray that prayer, that God would help you to understand His great purposes for your life and for His church. And I believe as we get a better picture, a better idea of this great purpose, it will inspire us, it will motivate us to do the things that God is calling us to do, to do things outside of ourselves for his glory and for his great purpose. Now, the beginning of God's purposes for our lives, it begins with a relationship with our creator, Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's not God's will for anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance, everyone to be a child of God. And today, if you're not sure that you're a child of God, you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And if you pray this prayer and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. So let's bow our heads right now. And if you want assurance in your heart and life that you are a child of God, pray this with me. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been living life my way and not yours. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven and rose from the dead. I commit my life to him as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. I want to follow you. And your purposes all the days of my life and right into eternity. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your wonderful purposes for us as believers, both in this life and in the life to come. We're grateful that you've chosen us in Christ to be part of your plan. And we look forward to the day when everything will be subjected to the rule of Christ. When every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we know there's a long way to go before then. And until that day, we thank you for your forgiveness. that allows us to stay in relationship with you. Help us to live our lives, not for our own glory, not for our own desires, but for yours. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives us the assurance that We are your possession, that we have a claim to our inheritance in eternity, that we have the power to carry out your great purposes, even in this life, to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We pray, God, that you would help us as a church to influence more and more people to discover Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray, God, that each of us would do our part to see Your kingdom grow in St. Louis and across the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.